What a great time it is to just come together and to worship God in so many different ways, through music and through reading of God's Word and through giving and now through His Word as we preach through God's Word. We're continuing on in our series in the Minor Prophets. It's been a long time. Uh, It's Christmas, Christmas, uh, and then there was our series on the Pulpit Table Square, and now we're getting back into the Minor Prophets. And if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Zechariah. And we're starting right there in chapter 1. We're starting right there in chapter 1. But let me ask you this one question before we get going. Is this. How do we start again? That's the question that many people are faced with throughout their whole life. How do we start again? It's a question that every sinner has asked themselves at some point in their lives. There's broken marriages are faced with this question. Broken friendships and broken dreams are faced with this question. How do we start again? And as we start this series in Zechariah, this is the same question that the people of God are facing. This is a question that is hitting them hard. How can we start again? They're coming back from exile in, the ba- in Babylon. They're coming back into the promised land. And they're asking this question, how in the world can we start again? We have just been punished for, God, for disobeying God. Now, Zechariah has been given this task of speaking to God's people who are trying to start over again. So how do we start again? How can we, when things are so bad, when everything is destroyed and ruined and there's nothing there, when we feel so far from God, how in the world can we start again? And that is what we come to when we come to Zechariah chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'll be reading from Zechariah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says this. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Barachiah and son of Ido, and saying, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the prophets, former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers... Where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts proposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we come together to continue to worship you through the opening of your word. So Lord, I pray that we indeed exalt you. 
that Christ is exalted as we continue to worship you through the opening of your word to see how you have revealed yourself in your word. God, I want to preach so that you are glorified. And I can't do this on my own. So Lord, I pray that by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. How do we start again? And that's the question that is plaguing the people of God as they come back from exile, from being punished by God for disobeying God. How do we start again? And as we look at these first three verses, we see God's righteous wrath calls us to return to him. First things first, let's get some background here. Here's the setting. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet. What we see here in these few verses is this periscope that is the framework to the eight visions that we will see as we continue to work through Zechariah in the next six chapters. And in this eighth month of the second year of Darius, this is the year, this is October 15th, 520 BC, in the reign of Darius, only two months when Haggai started to use his own preaching ministry. See, if you remember back to when we were preaching through Haggai, Haggai was focused with the rebuilding of the temple of God. But as we get into Zechariah, he's urging the people to turn with sincerity to God and warning not to bring the same punishment that their generation before had. So the word of the Lord comes to the prophet and God uses this man, this man like Zechariah to declare this message, to tell the people this message. And as Zechariah tells God's message, he looks back at Israel's past experience. The people refused to listen to God's word through the prophet and they continued to willfully disobey and because of that, God judges them. So Zechariah looks back at, his, at Israel's history, and Zechariah calls on this current generation that is reading this and hearing these words to return to God in repentance. Because we see in verse 2, the Lord was very angry with their fathers. This is the reason to turn back. God's anger with the sins of that earlier generation is what causes the destruction of Jerusalem and the experience of the exile. God was angry. In, in my personal time, I was, I'm reading through, I try to read through the Bible once every year, and I'm in Isaiah right now, and I'm reminded about this in Isaiah 5, in verses 5 to 6, it says, And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and then barriers and thorns shall grow up. And I will, I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. God was angry. I think sometimes we glance over this and go, well, God is a God of love. Yes, he is. But he is also a God who is holy 
and is deserving all of our praise and our worship. And here, the people of God have completely rejected him. So his response is anger. Why? Because they disobeyed. They were guilty of not loving God and, other, and others as they had been commanded. They had elevated the gift above the giver of gifts and cherished things more than him. They had religious hypocrisy. They were the people who were going to church every Sunday, but on the, every Monday to Saturday, and there was nothing different in their lives. This is what happened. God cannot tolerate sin. God is holy. A heart of sin is a heart that rejects the word of God. To reject the word of God is to reject God. So God's angry. This is our dilemma as well. We're all guilty of sin. And sin is transgression of God's law. And none of us has loved God and others as Christ has commanded. Not one. We're sinners by birth and by choice. We have broken the law of Christ and stand condemned before God. So he comes here in verse 3. He says, Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts. Let me pause here for a sec. Fifty-three times in this book, the Lord of hosts is used. It's like this neon sign that says, Hey, maybe we should pay attention. In this one verse, in verse 3, it said three times. It's almost like crazy repetitive. It's like, God, I get the point. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts. God is here talking about himself as the mighty and universal ruler of all things. God is our loving an eternal creator. He has always existed and is fully independent. He is lacking nothing. God is so holy and pure that nothing imperfect can enter his presence. He is just always doing what is right. And as he himself is the final standard of truth, he is also gracious and merciful. So three times in verse 3 it says, the Lord of hosts. So God is saying, listen, I might have something to say right now. Listen, therefore say to them, listen to me, thus declares the Lord of hosts. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. I love this passage. When we look at Zechariah, sometimes people... Sometimes the Old Testament is, is kind of described as Christ, uh, uh, Christ hidden. You kind of got to look a little bit more for it. And the New Testament is Christ revealed. But when we look at this in Zechariah, Jesus is so blatant, it's hard to ignore. The gospel is here. Some might call Zechariah the gospel of Zechariah. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, And I will return to you. Return to me as a call to repentance and back to the covenant obedience. And God calls us to return back to him. And and there's a promise that's followed with this, right? I will return to you, 
It's a simple equation. It promises full restoration of the blessing of God's presence. In the book as a whole, we are talking about the presence of God with his people, God dwelling with his people. And this is completely fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. We see this in John chapter 1, verses 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So God gives this warning to return to him. And does it not remind us of what Jesus teaches us all the way back in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17? From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. So this theme of repentance comes through this whole book, but it's really evident in verse 3. But here's four things about repentance that we really need to think about. The first one is this. There's a need for repentance. This need is established by the fact that God judges all sin. It doesn't matter if the only thing you did in your entire life was steal a cookie. You're still sinful. God is holy. The problem with the Israelites' ancestors for the previous generation was that they doubted God's judgment and therefore denied the need for their own repentance. They snubbed their nose at God's constant warning, thinking, oh, God's not going to judge me. I'm God's chosen people. I'm good to go. And since they were God's chosen people and since they possessed such divinely ordained institutions like the temple, They thought God would never punish them. This is why they continued to ignore and often persecuted and killed God's prophets. Zechariah's generation asked, how in the world can we start again? How do we start again when our relationship with God is so damaged by sin? And this is a question many people ask today, and the answer begins with repentance. Second chances begin at the foot of the cross. And we also need to look at a definition of repentance. See, def- repentance is both a turning from sin and a turning to God. We'll get to verse 4, but verse 4 says, God called the earlier generations to return from their evil ways and from your evil deeds. This is the same requirement for you and for me today. Repentance is about both our actions and our attitudes. Repentance is about both our actions and our attitudes. We have this idea that we have to repent if we just curb our behavior, like behavior modification, and we're good to go. We curve our desires. But along with turning from sin, verse 3 says, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Repentance is both a turning from sin and a turning to God. They are inseparable. You can't separate them. They come together. And we cannot turn to God except by turning from sin, which he hates. 
But on the other side of that, until we come back to God, we don't have the strength to fight the battle of sin that is in our lives that holds us in chains. Only his light can cast out our darkness. Which leads me to the third thing. God graciously receives all who turn to him. Verse 3 again says this, And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. God has made a promise. Has he ever broken his promise in his word? Never. Not once. God has made a promise. Think about how much these words would have meant to the children of a bunch of habitual disobedient parents. They're coming back out of exile. Their parents were habitually disobedient. They, they just would not listen to God constantly warning them, look, this is what's going to happen. If you don't turn from this and turn to me, this is what's going to happen. Imagine being that child and they're walking back over so many hundreds of miles and that question, how can we possibly start again? Things are so far gone. This is the amazing grace that we see in the heart of our Savior. Jeremiah 3, verses 12 to 13 says, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God. Think about what this is showing you and me. No matter how great our sin, His mercy is more. No matter how far we have gone from God, God is ready to receive those who come to Him in repentance of faith. This is why we teach our kids these things. Only God saves people. But at least we need to teach them the truth. I love the parable. I love Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. Like how, how often do we feel like that kid running away and squandering all of our inheritance? And we're in our back of our mind, we're thinking, oh man, I don't know if God's going to bring me back. How could he? I've gone too far. Thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. God graciously receives all who turn to him. This is the gospel according to Zechariah. This is the good news of great joy that God will gladly receive those who turn to him in repentance and faith. This is who our God is. Why would you refuse his loving heart? Why? For some reason, we so often, uh, it's like this human nature, right? We sin, and the first, our first reaction is to run away from God. But the Bible says over and over again, that's not the right thing to do. The right thing is to run into the arms of our loving Savior with repentant hearts. Turning away from our sin and running towards our loving God. And the fourth one is this. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that God saves those who repent. 
that God is a holy God. He must always judge sin. God couldn't accept these sinners unless atonement was made. In Zechariah's day, this was done by the blood of the Lamb at the very temple they were there rebuilding. But ultimately, it required the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus is the true Lamb of God. And, has, and his was the blood that took away our sin. First Thessalonians 1 says, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. Second chances begin at the foot of the cross. This God, Christ died for our sins and he rose again. Jesus Christ, the promised one, the promised Messiah, the one who would die in our place for my sin, the one who was sinless, who did not sin, took the punishment of my sin, so that when I come to him in repentance and faith, God sees his righteousness and not my own. Israel constantly ignored God's many calls to return. Will you ignore it today? Second chances start at the foot of the cross. God's righteous wrath calls us to return to him. But it's not just a one-time call. It's a repeated call. As we see in verses 4 to 6, we see God's repeated warnings calls us to return to him. There's a call for the present generation to repent. As God says in verse 4, Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. It's funny, right? How often we're like, oh, I just want to be like my dad. And God's like, no, not these dads. Do not be like your fathers. Do not be the stubborn donkey. You know, the opening chapter of Isaiah, God calls his people a stupid donkey. You ever think about that? Don't be like your father. God was angry. The peoples, the generation before them did not listen. They refused to obey. They ignored God's call to them to repent. And we see in verses 5 to 6, we see these things. Your fathers, where are they? The prophets, did they live forever? See, reason for not resisting the word of the Lord, he's given two questions to confront any objection to what God has said in verse 4. Look, don't be like them. They are all gone. But look what happens. As verse 5 says, your fathers, where are they? makes a point that the fathers died in exile because of their sin. And the prophets, did they live forever? The Hebrew actually implies the answer, no. It's like a rhetorical question. Even the prophets that gave the warning to God's people fell under God's judgment and died. The people need to listen to God's word and return to him while there's still time. So verse 6, the first part of verse 6 says, but my word and my statutes, God's word will accomplish its purpose. Uh, Hit hard with this over the last few weeks. In Isaiah 55, verses 10 to 11, 
God comes along and he describes how the water, when it waters, it goes and it accomplishes exactly what it's supposed to do. That it's going to make the, the plants grow so that the people can eat. And in verse 11, it comes along and says this, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. My words and my statutes, God comes along and says, they lasted forever, your fathers didn't. Which one are you going to trust? My word will accomplish what it says it will accomplish. Which one are you going to trust? It brings us back all the way to Deuteronomy 28. In verse 2, God lays out the blessings that will happen if the people obeyed the covenant and kept God as their Lord and Savior and obeyed Christ or obeyed Him. But in verse 15, it lays out the curses of disobedience. The prophets were to call Israel back to the nation, the national covenant, reminding them of blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Folks, we cannot pray for blessing if we constantly are in disobedience. It doesn't work that way. That's why God comes and says, return to me and I will return to you. God's word remains true. The gospel is so evident in this this sermon of of Zechariah because God gives a reassuring word as well at the end of verse 6. God's reassuring words call us to return to him because those who are his people respond to his word and return to him. You see that? What is their response? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts proposes to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. Since judgment overtook their, their, the generation before, they were no more. Those who hear God's words proclaimed by Zechariah repented and acknowledged the righteousness of God's ways. What is reported in these verses is that those who heard God's word proclaimed by Zechariah, they repented, they acknowledged the righteousness of God in dealing with his people. Unlike the generation before, who listened to the preaching of the prophets, who listened to them and didn't respond, and and because they didn't respond, they were judged. Zechariah is here as they, they repent. They can expect to find the Lord turning to them as well because the promise still stands true. Return to me and I will return to you. See, God graciously receives all who turn to him. Graciously. God has made a promise. Think about what this means for you and me. No matter how great your sin is, no matter how far you have gone from God, God is ready to receive those who come to him in repentance and faith. This is the gospel according to Zechariah. 
the good news of great joy that God will gladly receive those who turn to him in repentance and faith. We're only saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is our God. Why would we refuse his loving heart? And so what? Our God of second chances graciously calls his people to return through repentance and faith when we wander far from him. Second chances begin at the foot of the cross. Here's the thing. Notice that there's no program that will bring revival. There's no music style. There's no instruments. There's no young, good-looking pastor. There's no... I'll leave it on that one. That's a good point. There's nothing like that. You know what the equation is for revival? Return to me and I will return to you. That's the equation. Nothing fancy. So the question is a simple equation. God is calling. And he calls us to respond to it. We started this year by looking at how we are called to be a people of prayer and that we should be a people of prayer. We spent the next three weeks looking at uh, pulpit, how we gather together, the church has gathered, and we gather together to exalt Christ through the singing and the preaching of his word. How we are called to be in community, a table. We're called to be a community. And what that community looks like is are people being devoted to the apostles' teaching, being in fellowship together around the Word of God, and being in prayer around the Word of God. And that as square, we're called to go out and to proclaim this good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. By being a community, of being a church in the city. You know, This is not rocket science. I couldn't even tell you what rocket science is. This is our God. Why would we refuse his loving heart? Psalm 127 verses 1 to 2 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is the vein that you rise up early and go out late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sheep. The earlier generation of Israelites thought God would not judge them for their sins. But as they walked all the way back from exile and they entered into what used to be called the promised land, what were they faced with? A city whose walls were destroyed where the temple was destroyed, and even the new temple that they're building was not anywhere, in, uh, not compared to what was there. All because it's in this amazing blunt testimony of their previous sin. And we forget that our generation can do that too. That we can pile up ruins out of folly, even within the church. Galatians 6 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh 
will from his flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If you are a Christian, but backslidden into sin and spiritual decline, remember the history lesson that we see here today. Your sin will not bring blessing, but ruin. However, however sweet that lying song that is in your ears. If you continue in sin, you will at the very least bring God's rebuke on you. And at the worst, you'll prove that you have really not believed at all. And if that is so, you will ultimately reap the destruction you are now sowing with the seeds of sin. So when I look at this, you look at this, this invitation from God speaks grace to every Christian. Every day. Backslidden or not, in the ups and the downs of our spiritual lives, how wonderful to see God's open arms encouraging continual repentance and trust. If you are not a Christian, these words are especially for you because they're absolutely terrifying. If God hates sin enough to punish even his own people, what do you think is going to happen to you? If God allowed his chosen people, Israel, the elect nation of his own love and purpose, to fall to the sword, to be drayed off in chains, and the city and the temple to be reduced to ruin, what then will be your fate if you continue to rebel? You who are not God's people. The lesson is clear. You must repent at once. As Paul begs, be reconciled to God. Turn from your sin and to this God of grace who offers everyone salvation through the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you will repent and turn to him in faith, your sins will be forgiven on the spot and you will enter into everlasting life. So the question is still this, how do we start again? Return to me, says our God, and I will return to you. Come to me, he offers. Return. Those who do will find God ready to forgive through Jesus Christ, ready to restore and ready to bless from out of the depths of his abounding grace. No matter who you have been or what you have gone through, by turning to God, you will be able to truly start again. Because God will return to you. I don't know about you, but I need second chances every day. If you come to me and say, you don't need a second chance, you're a liar. I'll call it right now. We all need second chances. Second chance starts at the foot of the cross. As we come to God in repentance and faith. Do you want revival? Do you want revival in your life? In this church? Do you long for the presence of God? Therefore I say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. You know, return to me 
sounds a lot like a second chance. We have a God of second chances, don't we? He calls us, reminding us of what happens when we don't listen to his call, but giving us a promise to those who will listen. Return to me, he says. So for you and me, the question is still there. Will you return to him today? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you that you are a God of second chances. That you graciously call us to return to you. That anyone who repents and puts their faith in you, you will, come, you will return to. Lord, we thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is purely by your grace that we are saved. So Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship you as we leave this place, Lord, I pray that we will be reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ. And amen.